Well, it was a great uh, afternoon last Sunday when we gathered together for our groundbreaking ceremony. We know many of you were able to be here, uh, but also some of you weren't, and we wanted to make sure that you got to see a little bit of that, and we're excited that we are continuing to move ahead. Uh, Actual stuff is going to really start happening in a visible way in about a week, and so keep uh, posted on that. We'll be giving you uh, instructions about how that impacts things for you and uh, uh, you will see some things you need to be aware of um, regarding our parking. That I'll just let you know that ahead of time, and you get more specific stuff. But uh, we're excited and looking forward to God's uh, continued work in guiding this process. And if you will be praying, uh, we will be in our building, a new building, uh, next uh, September is the goal, the target. And uh, we're excited about that. So uh, open your Bibles, if you haven't already, to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. We're continuing our series, God With Us. And we started last week, and we'll continue through December looking at the opening verses of John's gospel. It's called the prologue, and this is the the verses where John gives us not the Christmas story from below, but the Christmas story from heaven's perspective, the Christmas story uh, from the view of eternity. And we're going to be looking this morning at John's claim that Jesus is the one alone who offers true life, that Jesus is the only one who brings the light uh, into our dark world. Last week, if you, you were here, you'll remember that we, we read and studied together verses 1 through 3, and we saw how those verses teach us that Jesus is both fully God and fully human. We're going to read those verses again, and then I want to connect them into verses 4 and 5, which will be our focus this morning. So John uh, opens this gospel, verse 1, in this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now these verses that we are looking at today, they're about light and darkness. And I think if you will think about it, you will agree that we are living in a time when in many ways darkness just seems to be winning. Just think of some of the things that have happened in the last few months. We've seen racial unrest in Charlottesville. We've seen uh, the senseless slaughter of 58 people in Las Vegas. We've seen the murder of 26 people in Sutherland Springs, Texas, while they worshiped, while they prayed. You look around the world, and it just seems like terrorism continues to metastasize. There's ethnic cleansing in Myanmar, not catching as much news, but very significant. Everybody knows that North Korea's dictator Kim Jong-un is continuing to work and push toward acquiring the ability to launch nuclear missiles at our country. And then Underneath the surface, every day, there's abortion and there's child abuse and there's sex trafficking. By the way, all of those things are happening here where we live. There's lots of darkness. But John tells us, did you see it? The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And I'm just wondering this morning if anybody needs that reminder today. If anybody here feels like life is dark, like this world is crazy, and you really don't know where to turn. One national magazine put this on its cover 
uh, about a year ago, this article titled, The Age of Fear, Why is America So Afraid? And it was kind of interesting. They, they pointed at one particular reason. The article said, studies link hours of news consumption to overall fears of, uh, levels of fear and anxiety. Anybody notice that? The more you watch the news, the more you think about what's being put out there, the more anxious you get. One expert said this, we start receiving notifications as these disasters happen. And he says, there's this false sense of involvement that we didn't have 150 years ago. You know, bad things have happened in the world forever, ever since mankind fell into sin, right? The problem today is that we know about all of them all the time. And uh, even just 50 years ago, the, the things that we know and that we know instantaneously, 50 years ago, only God had that kind of awareness, that kind of knowledge of all these things happening all around the world. Uh, this article goes on to say that most news media, especially in the last 10 years or so, has distilled its message down to this. The world is dark and the darkness is advancing and the advance of the darkness is inexorable and therefore you should be very afraid. It's kind of what is put out there for us. Now, why is that the message? And the reason is pretty simple. It's because you listen to that message and you keep listening to that message, right? You won't turn the channel and they know that and they know if you don't turn the channel, they make more money, right? We're just kind of drawn to that. And I, I want to just bring that out to offer kind of a biblical challenge uh, to all of us, especially if you find yourself feeling anxious and depressed every time you listen to the news, every time you check out your social media, you know, it's just always conflict, always bad things, always dark. Every morning, every evening, more bad news. You find yourself thinking about dark things all the time. I just want to challenge you and tell you, you don't have to do that. You don't have to consume all that. You don't have to listen to all that. You can pull back and you can spend more time looking at the light that shines in the darkness than you do looking at the darkness. I want to challenge you. Some of you really need to hear this because you're consumed by whatever shows up on this thing, right? No matter what, it just gets your attention and you live in that and you never get out of that. You need to create an alternative media environment for your own mind. And it needs to be grounded in biblical truth and godly principles. It needs to be based on God's reality, not just what happens to flow across whatever it is you happen to be looking at. And having said that, I just want to suggest to you that John 1, 4, and 5 can help. It can help. I want to show you this morning three truths that give us hope in a dark world. And maybe this next week, you're going to feel some of this darkness coming on, and you're going, to, you're, you're going to feel some of these things. You can take charge of your thoughts, of your emotions, as you remind yourself of these realities. Here's the first one. Go ahead and write this down in your message notes. John tells us that Jesus alone offers us true life and light. Look at verse 4 again. John says, In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Now, if you've ever been around church very long and you've read the Bible very much, you've heard this before. You've probably read these verses hundreds, if not thousands of times. And it is so easy for us, I think, to kind of skim over the surface and miss what's really being said here. You need to hear John is making a stunning statement in these verses. John is telling us that in the Word, 
in Jesus is life. Do you see? He's not saying that Jesus shows us how to have a good life or Jesus comes alongside us to make our lives better and nicer. He is making a blunt declaration. In Jesus is life. And if life is in him, that means you cannot find life anywhere else. Jesus alone offers us true life. Now, this just naturally follows out of what John says in verses 1 through 3. Do you see that? If what he says in verses 1 through 3 is true, then this just follows. If Jesus has always existed, if Jesus is God, if Jesus is the one who created all things, then life has to reside in him. He must be the only source of true life. And that's what John wants us to see. That's what John wants us to get. Now, John does something in this passage that's uh, very intentional, and it's really brilliant. Um, and I want to kind of back up a little bit and, 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 and talk about this. We didn't have time to explore this last week. But John uses this word, this word logos, to refer to Jesus. And it was such a brilliant move because it was a word that spoke to many different people at many different levels. First of all, to his own Jewish people, when he used this word logos to refer to Jesus, it would have resonated with them because they would have immediately gone, as we talked about last week, to Genesis 1. In the beginning, God. In the beginning was the Word. They would have put that together. Jesus was God's agent in creating the universe. They would have heard John saying that. But a little more subtly, this word logos also pulled in all of John's Greek readers and Roman readers, those who are part of the Greek culture, because they heard that word and it drew them into this longstanding uh, philosophical discussion that had been going on for centuries about the nature of reality. And they would have known about this. Uh, let me try to sum this up. A little philosophy this morning. Some of you are excited. Some of you are dreading this. Just hang on. I hope I'll make it clear. Now, Going back hundreds of years before Jesus, as thinkers in Greek culture looked around the world and they thought seriously about the world and about reality, they concluded that there must be some sort of founding principle that that's made the universe work. They, they looked at nature and they, they saw order, they saw harmony, they saw beauty, and they thought, you know what, there's got to be some kind of purpose, cosmic purpose behind all this. This just couldn't have happened. And they used the word logos to describe that sense. This word logos, it, it doesn't just mean word. It's got a broader semantic range. It can be translated as purpose or, or reason. We, we get our word logic from this, this word. And so when the Greeks said that there was a logos behind the universe, what they were saying is there was some kind of truth or reason for the universe's existence. They believed that there was meaning and purpose. Now, you're already probably thinking that's very different than today, and you're right. We live in a time where prevailing secular thought tells us exactly the opposite. It says that life, reality, the universe just happened. That's what our secular culture thinks. It's all a cosmic accident. It's all just accidental collisions of molecules. There's no inherent meaning that's there. Therefore, you have to give your own life meaning. Therefore, it's all up to you. Therefore, it's no surprise so many of us are anxious and depressed because it's all up to you. 
You have to figure it out. You have to make up your own meaning. But the Greeks didn't think that way. They thought, well, what if there is a logos to life? What if there is some kind of cosmic order, some kind of uh, spiritual structure behind the universe? And they thought there was, and then they thought, you know what, if we align our lives with that, if we align our lives with the way things really are, you know, with the universe's logos or the reason for existing, then our lives will go well. They thought if we don't align our lives with reality, best case scenario, we're going to experience a lack of contentment. Worst case, we're going to destroy our lives. It kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Wouldn't you think, just kind of in general purposes, aligning my life with reality is a good idea? Who votes for aligning your life with reality? You know, and yet, it's kind of difficult if there is no reality to line up with. Now, some of you took philosophy in college, and maybe you remember discussions about the guys called the Stoics, you know. And uh, these, were, these were people, it's a philosophical school, pretty popular in Jesus' day. And the people who believed this held that you align your life with the Logos, and that means that you accept what happens. Uh, this is where we get this idea of Stoicism or being Stoic. You know, you, whatever happens, suffering or pain or death, don't let it get to you. You just bear up under it, and that's how you're going to be happiest. And you can't change it. You might as well accept it. So get lined up with the universe. That's what they said. There were some other people who didn't like the Stoic philosophy they were called Epicureans, and maybe you've heard of them as well. They were also uh, in the mix at this time, and they thought that the meaning of life was find out what makes you happy, and then you go with that. You do that. That's what it means to align with the universe. It's kind of interesting, just like now, different approaches to aligning with the logos, with reality. But John comes along where all these ideas are floating kind of in the air, and people are thinking different things, and John says, there is a logos, there is a Logos, but you're totally wrong. It's totally not what you think. You're looking for rules. You're looking for principles. But the Logos that is the source of the universe's design, the reason that the universe exists, the Logos is a person, not a principle. And he is the source of life, the Logos. Now, having said all that, hopefully I'm as clear as possible, but I know Many of you right now don't care at all about philosophy. Many of you for the last few minutes heard me say, Logos, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> philosophy, blah, blah. Logos, Stoics, blah, 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 blah. And you're just saying, I don't care about that. What is John saying to me today? Okay, listen now. I'm going to put it very simply. What he's saying to you today is Jesus is God. Jesus is the creator of everything, including you. John is saying Jesus designed it all, and he knows how it works. He's the logos, the order, and the purpose, and the reason behind everything. That means Jesus knows best how your life will work best because he's the source of life. He thought it all up. He made it all happen. He created it all. Life is in him because he created it. Life is in him alone. Does that make sense? And see, Christmas means that Jesus came to this earth to offer you life, true life. So here's a question. If Jesus offers you life, and if he alone is the source of life, then why are you looking anywhere else for life? His life alone brings light, and God does not want you to live in the dark. 
Now, John goes on to say his life is the light. Did you notice this? For all people, for all a humankind for all humanity. He, in saying this, starts opening the door into a question that many of us have asked. Some of you have wondered if Jesus came to save the world, then what about all the people before Jesus? What about them? What about all the people today who've never heard about Jesus? And this is a very good question. A couple of simplistic answers people give. Some people say, well, I guess they all go to hell. And that's simple. That's easy. That may make some people feel good. Wrap it all up. Some people on the other side of things say, well, I think they all go to heaven. That's also very simplistic. It makes those people feel good. But the Bible is more nuanced than that. Notice again what John says in verse 4. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And in case we didn't get that, a few verses down, verse 9, John echoes and says, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Now, you need to know that these were radical words in the first century because John's people, the Jewish people, thought that the Messiah was coming just for them, just for the Jewish people. But as we read through the New Testament, we get to the book of Acts, we we see that the disciples start understanding, they start getting what God really had always said in the Old Testament, that he was the God, he was the Lord over all creation. Jesus came for all people. He's the light for the entire world. Just some examples of this. Acts 14, 16 and 17 says, In the past, he, that is God, let all nations go their own way. Yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. And And so this passage is saying, even in cultures without God's written revelation, which is the scriptures, God has been revealing himself. And he does this through creation, through crops, through the sun, through the rain, through the simple joys of life. God has been revealing his message of love and and power to all people. A couple chapters later in Acts, Acts 17, Paul is talking to the intellectuals in Athens, the Athenians. And he says to these people that God has always been sovereignly working in every culture ever since the beginning of history. Verse 27 says, God did this, here's the reason why, so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Paul was to say something similar in Romans 1.20. He said, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Now, theologians have a word for this. They call it general revelation. This is the way God reveals himself just generally in the creation They contrast this with special revelation, which is what the Bible is, God's specific written word. And everywhere we look, we can see God's revelation. In creation, God sends a message about who he is through things like crops and sun and rain, through sunrises and sunsets. We live in California through the beauty of the Pacific and the beauty of Yosemite, the redwood trees. All these things are general revelation from God to everyone in the world. And people see it, even if they don't know what it is they're seeing, even if they have uh, inaccurate ideas about it. 
I still remember about 10 years ago, I was with my family at the Grand Canyon, and we were there, and we'd heard it was a really great thing to do, go to the rim and stand up there when the sun set, and it was pretty spectacular, we were told, and I don't know if you've done that or not, uh, but we were there with like 25 or 30 people, I think, and I'll never forget as the sun dipped below the horizon, these sounds and words that people made, sounds of awe and joy and things that people spoke as the sun set. They were really, in a sense, they were sounds of worship because that's what you do when you see beauty. You ever stop to think about that? When you see something beautiful in the world and and something in your heart just kind of leaps up and you say something or maybe you just think something and if you don't say or think it, you feel it kind of in your chest you realize that reactions and responses like that to things that happen in the world make no sense whatsoever if life is just the accidental collision of various molecules, if life is just chemical reactions. No sense. My point is that God is always revealing himself, always, everywhere, to anyone who has eyes to see and ears to hear. And I wonder if you've experienced that. You know, maybe you're here today and you've never really met God in a personal way. You wonder who he is and you wonder what he's like. I'm just asking you, have you seen him in his creation? Have you heard him whisper his reality in your ear through the creation that's all around you? See, John is just telling us his light really does shine for all. So where have you seen him? Where have you heard him? What was it for you? It's different things for different people. Maybe you saw the sun and you saw the sea and you looked at all the blessings you have in your life and you just sensed that something was there. It's got to be something. Maybe it comes through art. Maybe a song on the radio or maybe a book that you read. Maybe the path has been through relationships. As you've experienced friendships, maybe you have been hearing these clues and seeing these clues and you find yourself here and you're just kind of wondering what it's all about. Here's the question Will you keep following the truth, the light that God is revealing to you? Will you follow that light wherever it leads? See, John is just telling us Jesus is the light, and he shows that light to everyone in the world if they will open their eyes and see. There's also a word for those of us who've come into relationship with him through this. John is saying we don't have to give up. to to feel like our task to tell others is impossible because God is leaving clues everywhere. God is revealing himself everywhere. His light is shining for everyone, everywhere on the planet. Now, I know it's obvious there are some questions that I've raised that I can't fully answer today. Um, I'll just assure you, none of you wants to stay here long enough for me to do that. You, You get me right there? So, uh, there's some things that have to be left hanging, and maybe you can uh, email me with questions you have. I want to get you to the next two points. So John tells us it is in Jesus alone that there's true life and light. The second thing he tells us is that absolutely nothing can overcome God's light. Verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. Now, this Greek verb shine is pronounced Fine, it's a verb, if you read the Greek text, it's in the present active indicative tense. A quick show of hands. Anybody here, that just changed your life to hear that right now. 
Well, what that means, that grammatical factoid is this. John is saying the light is shining even now. It means the light keeps shining. It means the light has not been extinguished and it never will be extinguished. John is saying the light shines, the light is shining, the light always will shine, and the darkness has not overcome it, and the darkness never will. That's what he's telling us. Now, when you pull back from that and you stop to think about who it is who said those words, they kind of just explode with meaning. I want you to tell you what what, what I'm talking about here. The apostle John uh, when he wrote these words, was toward the end of his life. A lot of scholars believe John was the youngest of all the 12 apostles. Uh, Almost everybody agrees that John's gospel is the last of the four gospels to be written, probably written around 90 AD. That probably would mean that John is somewhere around 90 years old, and that probably would mean that pretty much all of his friends had died. Have you noticed that? The older you get, The more friends you go to their funerals and things like that, you know. And John's probably pretty lonely by this time. Uh, If you know about history that John had lived through, it just gets even bigger, all the things that he had seen. Let me just tell you a little bit about that. John knew, for example, about King Herod and the evil of his reign, how he had searched for the baby Jesus to kill him, and he slaughtered all the baby boys in Bethlehem. John knew as he fast-forwarded through his life about the persecution of Christians that first happened through the emperor Nero around 60 A.D. Nero had killed his friend Paul. Nero had killed his friend Peter. John could look back and think about this guy, the Roman general Vespasian who took the Roman army into Judea, and that army slaughtered thousands of Jews, Jewish people, John's fellow people. He he lived through that. John lived through that time when the Romans besieged the city of Jerusalem, 70 AD. And just think about as this happened, how hard that would have been for him. He had all these amazing experiences in that holy city of Jerusalem, walking on the Temple Mount with Jesus, spending time with Jesus. And the Romans came around 70 AD and they cut the city off from all supplies for seven months. People had nothing to eat. Disease and plague begins to spread. The Romans finally break through when people are too weak to resist. The people fought them. They ended up retreating to the Temple Mount. And as they withdrew, the Roman army army just slaughtered everyone. And then they proceeded, this army, to scrape off all the beautiful temple buildings off this mount. They proceeded to deforest this entire city, the city that John loved, in this attempt to completely wipe out the Jewish culture that was John's heritage. John lived through that. About 10 years later, John uh, experienced uh, that what happened when the holy menorah and all of the temple's gold was taken to Rome is seen from this scene from the Arch of Titus. He was alive when Domitian, the emperor who went crazy, began to persecute Christians. Emperor Domitian, the first sign he was crazy, killed his own son. And then he turns against Christians and Jews. He decides he's going to kill them all. He discovers that some of his senators, people that are part of his government, they become Christians. And so he calls them into his palace so that he can personally execute them. 
He then takes uh, people over to Jerusalem. He decrees that uh, all the sons of David, which, by which he meant the Christians and the Jews, should be killed. And in Jerusalem, he has the Archbishop of Jerusalem put to death, who was then the leader of the Christian church. And tradition tells us that when he came to John, the guy who wrote the words that we're studying today, he said to John, you believe in baptism, then I will baptize you in boiling oil. And he immersed John in oil up to his neck. Imagine the burns, imagine the lifelong scarring, imagine the pain. And when John didn't die from that, he was banished to the island of Patmos. John had experienced all of that, and is after all of going, going through all of that, he writes his gospel. And John is saying to us, through all this bloodshed and through all these wars and through all this darkness, so dark you cannot even imagine, John is saying, the light is still shining, and all of that darkness, all of that darkness has not, and it's like he's, he's trying to think, what's the word I can use? Has not, what's the right word? And he comes up with this word, katalambano, which means overcome it, overcome it. And it's kind of interesting. The word that he chooses is one of these words that has kind of a double meaning. It's sort of like our English word mastered. You, you can say something can't be mastered, as in that means you can't learn it really. You can't really figure it out. Or you can say it can't be mastered, as in it can't be conquered. And that's what John is saying. That's the perfect word. He says, not only... Has the darkness not overcome the light? The darkness doesn't understand it. It cannot comprehend it. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is such a, a powerful truth because, as I said earlier, we're living in a moment, a season in our history where people are looking around the world, and it seems like everything is dark. And it's very easy to give in to despair, very easy to give in to anger, or other dark emotions. Think about it. If anyone could have looked around and seen the darkness and felt like that legitimately, it was John. But as John is about to explain in the rest of his gospel, when, when things seem personally darkest for him, when Jesus, his friend and master, was tortured and crucified and was dead, Three days later, John says, I couldn't believe what I'd heard. I raced to the tomb and I looked inside and he wasn't there. And then I saw him and then I heard him and then I touched him, the resurrected Christ, because the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. See, John is saying what we've just read in verses four and five. He's saying these things in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. He's saying that out of that experience of his life. So much darkness. Herod couldn't put out the light. Nero couldn't do it. The destruction of the temple couldn't do it. The death of Jesus couldn't do it. John is just saying, will you hear him? The darkness has not overcome the light. It will not overcome the light. Not then, not now, not ever. And that is a good place for an amen. You see, we can hold to that. And I'm telling you this so that you will not in your life as you experience darkness, let despair take over. Yes, there is darkness. Yes, it is sometimes very black. But there is also always a light that keeps shining. And the darkness 
has not overcome it, and the darkness never will. Now, what does all this mean for us? The last thing I want you to see, and this is where we get really practical as we we wrap this up, God's light shines through you and me. God's light shines through you and me. Now, this one might blow your mind if you stop to think about it. Uh, In John 8, a few chapters down from where we are, Jesus is going to make the same claim about himself that John is making about Jesus in John 1. It's in verse 12, and Jesus says this. You've heard this before. I am the light of the world. How many of you here agree with that claim that Jesus makes, that Jesus is the light of the world? I mean, that's why we're here, right? Because we believe he is the light. But I want to show you something that will blow your mind if you really get it, if you really hear it. Because Jesus makes a very similar claim in Matthew chapter 5 about you. Here's what he says. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, I want you to do something that may make some of you feel really uncomfortable, okay? I want you to say what Jesus said about himself, but I want you to say it about yourself because Jesus is doing that, okay? I want you to say, I am the light of the world, and I want you to think about yourself. Can we do that? I am the light of the world. Now, if you really want it to be weird, look at the person next to you like you're probably married to them or something and say, you are the light of the world. You probably can't hardly do that, right? Because you're thinking, no way, no way. Well, what does this mean? I mean, it can't mean that we're the same as Jesus. We're not fully God and fully human. Amen? Jesus is the source of light. And maybe we can think like this. Jesus is like the sun, and we're like the moon. We reflect his light. Uh, Maybe another analogy that we're going to get to experience again in a couple of weeks. It's like when we light our candles at the Christmas Eve services. We're, We're not the source of that light. We don't create that light. We just receive that light. We, we can't make light. What we can do, all we can do, is we can hold up the light, right? And it's such a beautiful thing when we're here all together. And you look at that beautiful picture. This is a couple of years ago. And there's no artificial light in the room. There's no light in the room except for the light of these candles that all of us together are holding up. See, we can shine the light of Jesus that he has placed within us, and we can share his light with the world, a dark world. This happens in so many ways. It happens, for example, when as a church, we buy gifts for Operation Christmas Child, and they go all around the world, all kinds of different places to bless little children who would never experience anything like that. Or maybe you've already bought a gift and you've put it in the Tracy Brighter Christmas barrel, or maybe you've gotten something for the angel tree for the Pregnancy Resource Center. This happens, this light shining, when we give to help needy families through our Southwinds Christmas offering. This light that shines, this is what happens when when people from Southwinds like Steve and Liz Barnett, traveled to the Houston area a month or so ago to serve people who are living in the aftermath of Hurricane Harvey to try to help people get their lives back together. That's light shining. And by the way, you may not know this, but our giving every week, just the normal giving we do, a portion of that goes to our National Disaster Relief 
organization which does all kinds of incredible things when hurricanes and earthquakes and, yes, fires take place. Uh, One statistic that came across my desk just this last week, uh, through our gifts and the gifts of thousands of other churches like us, um, our disaster relief efforts, the national organization has has prepared and served over 2.7 million meals to victims of Hurricanes Harvey and Irma. This has happened within the last few months. And you were a part of that. That's shining the light. And, and by the way, some of you are really interested in helping. And you've, some of you have already shared your name and you want to you do something. We're going to be having a disaster relief training uh, very soon in 2018. And we're going to be deploying some of you to go to some of these places here in Northern California where fires have destroyed lives. It's, it's like that's beginning to recede from our minds because now we have fires in Southern California, but disaster relief efforts will go on for months and months, and we're going to be able to be a part of it, shining the light. Shining the light happens also when people from Southwinds like Shelly Fuentes and Veronica Rico throw a Christmas party for the entire Mountain House community just a few days ago, and Hundreds of people show up. This has been going on for several years, and we have sponsored this as a church for a while with some financial support. But, but people like Shelly and Veronica and probably many others that I, I don't really know about, they're the ones that do all the work and make that happen all the time praying that as people enjoy visits with Santa and candy cane hunts and nutcracker dance groups performing and tamales, especially tamales, <laughs> When they have all the fun, they're praying that they will also see the invites to Christmas Eve services. And maybe some people will realize that they're enjoying something that comes out of hearts of love that only want to point them to Jesus, who is the reason for Christmas, who is the life and who is the light. You know, so many of you are doing things like this in and maybe small and private and personal ways, and, and no one else knows your story, and that may be the way you want it to be, and, and God knows what you're doing, and you're shining the light, and, and it's just so exciting to think about how God works as we make ourselves available to him. You know, some of you are going to do this when you bake some Christmas cookies or you make some Christmas candy and, and you share that with friends or you share that with neighbors and maybe you invite them to come to our Christmas Eve services where you hope and you, you pray that they'll hear the truth about Jesus and the gospel and God will open a door in their lives. God's just shining his light through our good deeds. You know, some of you are going to shine your light this afternoon and you're going to get baptized. You're going to tell the world that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. That's shining the light. Some of you are here today right now and you need to take that step. And you know what? Some of you are holding back. You know you need to get baptized, uh, but you've been waiting, holding back for whatever reason. For some of you, it's like you're worried about what someone else in your life will think about it. Maybe you've come here today to hear this. Jesus is the source of life. Those other people aren't. So you should listen to what Jesus says and not worry about what they say. Some of you need to get baptized and you're holding back because you kind of think, oh, I haven't really got my life cleaned up enough yet. And I'm here to tell you today, that's not your job. That's actually Jesus' job. And I want to tell you, he's really, really good at it. 
Your job is to obey him. Your job is to do what he says and trust him with the rest. And as you do, he'll shine his light through you. You see, it doesn't matter what it is. Every time we obey God by serving or by sharing with others, every time we do something that God wants us to do, it is a light, and it is a light on the path home. And there's going to be some people who are going to see that light, and maybe they're going to follow that light as the light shines through you and shines through me. And maybe somebody, maybe this Christmas is going to follow that light all the way home to salvation. God's light shines through you and through me. I hope you know about this. If you don't, I'm going to tell you, and Jay's going to remind you in just a couple minutes because some of you forget really quickly. (laughs) But we always have invite cards, and this is what they look like this year for our Christmas Eve services, and we've printed off a lot of them, and I just want to tell you ahead of time, we don't want to throw any of them away after Christmas. We want you to take them and want you to use them, and just let them be an opportunity to tell somebody about something important to you And maybe God will use that and they'll come to one of our four different services. See, God wants to shine his light through you. He wants to use you to share the light in the life of Jesus. So what's our response? I'm going to wrap this up. We've been looking at how John starts his gospel. I want to look briefly at how John ends his gospel Why did he write his gospel? John actually tells us. You can find his reason in John 20, verses 30 and 31. Here's what he says. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Now notice how he says you. God didn't just send Jesus to save the world. God came for you. And so John is still saying to us through these words written almost 2,000 years ago, how about you? Jesus is God's true life and light. Are you following that light? Have you received his life? And if you believe and if you receive the light of Christ, then you can have life in his name. And that is our prayer here at Southwinds for everyone who's in this room, that if it hasn't happened yet, that it will happen today, that it will happen very soon. It can happen right now. I want to encourage you, if you would, to bow your heads. We're all going to pray together. Our eyes are going to be closed. And if you've never trusted in Jesus, you can take that step even now as we pray. Just ask him to come in. Heavenly Father, we we thank you so very much for the light. We thank you that the darkest darkness can't ever put that light out. And so, Lord, I just want to pray right now, if it has never been personal before for someone here, that that person would be able to pray to you, Lord, I don't understand it all, but I want to receive Jesus, the light of the world, into my life. Lord, help them to say to you, Lord, I repent. I, I turn from my sins against you. Lord, I believe that Jesus is the Christ. Please give me life in his name. Lord, I want to shine with a light far greater than anything I can produce myself. I want your light shining through me. And so as much as I understand, I want to receive that light now. And I want to keep following Jesus.
Lord, if anyone needs to pray a prayer like that, I just ask that you would open their hearts and give them the courage to reach up to you even now. Lord, those of us who have already received your life and received your light through the death of your son on the cross, may you just encourage us even now to help others see what you have shown us, to help others receive what we have found in Jesus. We confess together today that Jesus, your son, who is our Lord, is the life and he is the light for the world. And we ask you to help others see what you have revealed to us. We pray these things now in the name of Jesus and all God's people together say,